When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, growing up in Jersey City, you witness a lot that you wouldn't witness in other other um, places. And so, you know, homelessness being one of the bigger things, um, witnessing, you know, I honestly, <laughs> if we're keeping it real, real, I can't, I can no longer tell the difference between um, a firecracker and a gunshot because the area that I lived in was very crime ridden in terms of like, it was drug infested and, and things like that. Like my next door neighbor was a drug dealer. so. And I, I didn't learn that until later on in life. I was always yeah. wondering, like, why, is, why are different people always going into that house? Like, it's never the same person. And then I realized my, my father looked at me like, really, Lex? You can't put two together? Come on, re- think real hard. Hi, my name is Alexis Augusto, and I am a model minority. Welcome to Model Minorities. This is a show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. Basically what we're all thinking about, but probably not talking enough about. Whether you're black, white, brown, yellow, gay, straight, boy, girl, or anything in between. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Today we're talking to Alexis Augusto. Alexis is the Director of Talent, Equity, and Inclusion at the 4As, and the 4As is the American Association of Advertising Agencies. That's a lot of letters, Sharon. That's a lot. I think that's why they shortened it to 4As. Oh, so it's kind of like the Fantastic Four. Got it. Got it. The trouble is, though, that then you have to explain it after. (laughs) (laughs) Marketing. (laughs) Go marketing. What I love about Alexis is that she's really dedicated her professional life to bringing diversity and inclusion into the workplace. Like That's her entire role and her function. And she oversees that for all of the big global ad agencies that are in the four A's. Yeah, it's just... I've just envy of having such a cause-driven job and you can tell she cares about it like i think and what's funny is i think we care about it too yeah because we got into this like really heated discussion i hope we're still friends sharon about <laughs> whose fault is it the brand or the agency like yeah. on representation so you don't make a really like tone deaf ad right and yeah we're still friends i guess at least for the duration of this podcast. <laughs> we, we have a lot of episodes to get through. <laughs> it's true. It was interesting to also talk about the program that I was a part of that started my career. So Alexis oversees a program called MAPE, which is another acronym, but it stands for the Multicultural Advertising Intern Program. And that's run by the 4As Foundation. And so I... I started my career 20 years ago, coming through as an intern through that program. Um, And it was just really cool to kind of share with her and with you. And that's kind of how we got into our heated discussion about my own perspectives of what it was like starting off 
as an Asian female in the industry. How'd you find out about the, the ad industry? How'd you know you wanted to go into advertising? Honestly, I used to watch um, Melrose Place <laughs> and Heather Locklear's character. I can't remember her name anymore. But she was she was a professional ad exec. And so I thought, well, when I grow up, I'm going to be like her. <laughs> it was as deep as that, Raman, deep as that. Well, I mean, look, Alexis was saying, because I think she started in academia and she, her first exposure to the ad industry was Mad Men mm-hmm. and the diversity issues. I thought that was just so present because she's like, yeah, we've come far, but maybe we haven't. It's, um, it's really interesting. I, I love it when outsiders come into an industry. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. And I think that these pipelines to help people get their foot in the door, all with great intentions, are a way to solve that. It was really interesting to hear Alexis's perspectives of when that can kind of fall apart. Um, So that was really interesting. And also just kind of hearing about her own story, right? Like she's a Latina female who's obviously representing diversity, but she's, she's in an industry that is male-dominated and primarily uh, majority Caucasian and white. And she's representing the cause, but she's also facing that on the day-to-day perspective as well. Well, I mean, it's her background growing up wasn't the same of a lot of people in the industry. I mean, she talks about growing up next to drug dealers and as an innocent kid, not knowing that they were drug dealers. Yeah. That was great. It's not great, but it's just like, probably better that you didn't know that they were growing up. Yeah. Like, hey, that's just my neighbor, Joe. <laughs> well, I also like how, you know, so she brings like who who she was into her day job, but then she also has to do interesting things to fit in, mm-hmm. like the story about her nose ring. Um, but that, so, Sharon, do you do anything to fit in that, that isn't like who you are every day? Not anymore, but I do think that in the beginning of my career, I did. And that came up too, as we were talking to her, I think when you're early in your career, there's a lot more pressure to want to fit in because you're just trying to figure it out, like what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, I'm supposed to be in this office at nine o'clock and they tell me that I'm getting an hour lunch break, but is it really an hour? Is it okay if I take the full hour? I mean, just things like that. And so, you know, just um, professional culture is something that takes some getting used to. And I think that looking different, behaving differently, all of those things are were also a big part of it in the very beginning of my career. Well, I think we should just jump in and let everyone hear our conversation with Alexis. Yeah, let's do it. Well, <laughs> Alexis, I got to ask, what do you do for a living? <laughs> what, what, what do they pay you for? for <laughs> nice. So what I do right now, I am the director of the 4As Foundation, specifically handling the MAPE program. So in a nutshell, 4As is the American Association for Advertising Agencies. And the 4As has a foundation, which I like to think of it as the philanthropy of the 4As. And so in the foundation, we house a lot of initiatives that um, have to do with diversity, with talent, with allowing people of color to occupy this space that we are now starting to come into. Um, And so the MAPE program falls under that foundation, along with our high school programs, as well as our scholarships and awards too. So we give out a number of scholarships and awards to um, people of color, young professionals who are, you know, getting, again, their foot in the door. 
Um, and so the MAKE program stands for Multicultural Advertising Intern Program. And this program was established back in the early 70s, 1973 to be exact. And so we're up coming up on our 47th year, which is amazing. And you would think that in 2020, we wouldn't need a program like this anymore, but it looks like we still need it. And so this program effectively allows access into the advertising, marketing, and media industries for students of color. And so this internship program works, we mainly work with juniors and seniors in college. And we, you know, have a rigorous application process, selection process, and we've grown from within the first year in 73 being a program of just 20 students to in 2020, now we have well over 325. Um, so we're still working on that number because we're agencies are still, you know, choosing their intern for the summer and what have you. But yeah, I directly oversee that entire program from inception to conclusion every single year on the fellowship side, the internship side. But I also oversee our alumni program. So once these students have successfully completed their summer internship, um, they become alum of the program. And so what we do is we continuously develop them and pour into them. We provide them with skills-based learning. We provide them with personal and professional development within their specific disciplines in advertising and marketing or, you know, overall. Um, and personal coaching too. We try to um, pair them up with mentors in the industry that can continuously, you know, oversee their growth because let's face it, whether you're it's your first year or it's your 10th year being in this industry, you still need someone to kind of fall back on. You need that support system. So, you know, from a holistic view, we try to cover all the bases, starting off with the fellowship and ending with our alumni. So in a nutshell, <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> and so Alexis, tell us why. Why is it so important that you're creating this pipeline for the advertising industry? Yeah, it's super important because this industry has been an industry traditionally that has not seen a lot of diversity. Um, it is a white male dominated industry and is probably one of the industries that has the least um, or the more poor numbers when it comes to diversity. Um, I, prior to this, I was in academia. I worked in, um, in a university setting in higher education. And those numbers are um, better off when it comes to diversity, not in terms of the um, staff and, and faculty, but in terms of the students, very diverse number of students. But we don't see that in the workforce, specifically in this industry. And so why is that? You know what? I don't, I don't even know. I think, I just think that perhaps, you know, especially, and, and I, I, I kind of think of Mad Men when I think of the ad industry, you <laughs> sure, know, sure. <laughs> it takes me back to, yeah, yeah, it takes me back to that series because, you know, when I first, so in full transparency, because I come from um, higher education and I have an academia background, when I got into the advertising, marketing and media industry, I was like, what the heck is this? Like, I need to learn about this industry. I have no idea because my background is DNI. So, you know, in my Sorry, prior- what is DNI? Diversity and inclusion. Thank you. It, yes. <laughs> so that's my background. And I work with students of color. So it just seemed like a natural fit when I came into this industry, yeah. working into in the DNI space and the foundation. And so, you know, I had to actually learn the industry. And so I someone recommended, they were like, you know what? You should watch Mad Men. And I'm like, okay. And at that time, Netflix had it, <laughs> you know, for free. And I was like, all right, let's do it. 
So I watched Mad Men and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. This is how it was back in the 60s, like back in the 70s, really? And it actually made me uncomfortable as a woman of color too, because to see that the way that, you know, in the in the series for if you've watched it, it's um a lot of the women have secretarial roles. Yeah. You know, there yeah. aren't Peggy's like the only one who rises through the ranks. Yeah, right? yeah she's the only yeah. one. Absolutely. Oh, she's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. I love her. Um so yeah, we see her grow into this copywriter, into this great person. And it just put into perspective for me, like, damn, it's really not that long ago that we weren't given these kinds of opportunities, you know? Yeah. And so but do you, that, mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, yeah. my experience, like, with the ad, ad industry, like, I came from the client side, mm-hmm. and I would come to New York for these meetings. That's actually where I met Sharon, right? Yeah. Oh, and nice. do you think, um, where is I going to go with it? Um is the issue less about male, female now and more about um, ethnicity? Because the thing I experience, this is kind of weird, but it's like the stereotypical like ad agency executive that I would meet, mm-hmm. um, or at least the, the AE, the associate level, was like a female liberal arts major. Yeah. More females than males. Like, may, you know, you'd see, you'd meet the occasional Don Draper that they would bring in for the big meeting. Mm-hmm. But the day to day people I was working with were basically people my age that were female. And yeah. um, I, I don't know, is, is that what is, is gender diversity the issue anymore? Like in Mad Men or is it ethnicity? No, I think it really is ethnicity and racial background. Um, okay. I think that with the industry, once diversity became an issue, once people were speaking against it or, or towards it, saying we need to fix this problem, um, the industry took that as gender diversity. And so mm-hmm. I, what I'm assuming is they thought bringing in more women would solve the problem. But it's mm-hmm. not just that. And we see that yeah. in multiple different ads that went wrong, like the Pepsi ad with, um, oh my gosh. With oh like yeah, that was terrible. Or- Oh, Kendall. Yeah. Kendall Jenner. Give yeah. the police officer a Coke. Racism. Right. <laughs> exactly. And it's going to fix everything. No, boo boo. It's not going to fix it. <laughs> so like ads like that, um, you know, it shows that there is a need for diverse thought, diverse background, people who are going to bring an authenticity to the problem and be able to say, hmm, this doesn't really seem right. Let's revisit that. And so if you bring more um, people with diverse thought, with diverse backgrounds, that, you know, just solves so many issues. And so in D&I, yeah, I think the lack is people um, of diverse ethnic backgrounds. So in tech, you know, when Google or Facebook gets in trouble for not having enough brown and black people or women, frankly, like mm-hmm. it's coming out of tech startups for several years now. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a sausage fest around the table, not gonna <laughs> lie. Mm-hmm. And um, and I started in corporate America where you had these DNI initiatives. So, yeah. you know, I, half of my managers in my corporate career were women, mm-hmm. um, and diversity of all stripes from other countries, other creeds based on college recruiting and stuff. Um, but then you go to the tech industry and they're like, well, there aren't just enough women engineers, there aren't enough Hispanic or black engineers, right. Mm-hmm. In for tech. And so there's these like systemic truths and mm-hmm. there are ways to address it. And whether it's girls who code or things like that, that are trying to solve it. But I guess my question is, in the advertising industry, what is that systemic truth or that institutional truth, whether it's true or not, that exists? You know? Hmm. Is it just enough, they're not enough brown marketing majors? Is that Uh it? Because their parents told them to go into engineering? No. You know what? The talent is there. The talent is there and they're ready. And I think our program proves that from the trajectory and the, how we've expanded exponentially since we first started, you know, I Mm -hmm. think that it's just a matter of giving 
these people a chance and a leg in and really um, seeing them for who they are. Um, I think that's, that's what the issue is. You know, there's so many, so much talent, so much talent across the nation. And that's the unique thing about our program is that we take interns across the nation. Well, yeah. What, what's driving the retention issue? Why are they bowing out? I think there, um, there aren't enough resources for them. Um, and I think certain agencies could do better with their diversity and inclusion initiatives. So like really assessing what the issue is. Um, some agencies don't even have a DNI person. They default to their HR to be that diversity and inclusion representative. So I think the real, the hardship of being in a role like this is having to do the work while defending the work. Sometimes DNI people, we're getting this talent, we're trying to retain them, but we have to constantly fight for why this is good. And we can see in examples like the Pepsi one, why it is good. Hello, mm -hmm. if you had a person of color on that account, I guarantee you they would have said, um, y'all need to revisit this. And they'd have to be more senior on the account and willing Absolutely. to speak up in the meeting. Right. Absolutely. I think they're also battling with tone deaf clients, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have big corporations hiring big agencies, you've got majority archetypes in these roles. So it's white male led, both on the client side and on the, on the agency. I'm going to push side. back there. I'm, no, here's where I'm going to push back. Okay. No, no, seriously. Yeah, go ahead. So, cause, and again, you know, Raman, you and I are 20 years into the industry. So a lot has sure. changed, but when I was on the agency side, I mean, part of, part of my experience in MAPE was that, yes, I was one of, I don't know, I think I was like one of 109 interns that summer. Mm -hmm. just in New York City, but I was only one of four people that got hired at McCann Erickson. Mm. And McCann Erickson is a huge agency, but they had only taken four new people for their account management team. And I was definitely the only person of color. So the other, the others were female, the other three were female, but they mm -hmm. were all white. Mm. And so already I was like, I was a minority of a minority just coming in, right? One of four, even though I was, um, and it was a small group of people, and within, Alexis is right, within three to five years, half of us were already out of the industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so, Sharon, why do you feel, what was the reason why you got out of the industry or at, at that three to four year mark? What were you feeling at that point? So I, I think at that point, I ended up going client side. So I think, you know, I think when you're on the agency side, wanting to be the client is kind of the the gold standard because you want to be the one making the decisions and driving the strategy. Mm -hmm. And so I pivoted out of agency role. Um, but it was also to your point, Alexis, there was nobody else at my agency at the time that was a woman of color in a lead role. And mm -hmm. I had to go to, to mm -hmm. like really kind of have these conversations. Like, I don't even think I was aware of what I was missing. I just knew that I didn't feel like I had a path, a very clear path. For where I wanted to go because every when I looked around me, everybody above me just didn't look like me and they didn't have the background that I had. And they also didn't have the shared perspectives that mm -hmm. I had either going into a meeting. You know what I mean? Like, and Raman, I think you recognize this too. I mean, so many of those big brands, big package goods brands are actually marketing to people of color. But and so this is where I want to defend the client side a little okay. bit. And I'm, look, I'm recovering marketer. <laughs> I'm not on the client side anymore. Right. Um, I went to startups instead of agencies where there's bigger diversity issues, but like, or just as big, but on the client side, and again, recognizing that I grew up in a bubble, like a really good company that had like 
knew it had a lot of work to do, but was working on diversity initiatives. I'm almost positive that's how I got hired, right? Right. Um, But two things to kind of defend the client, because even the account that we were on together, like the one where I was a client and you were at the agency, Sharon, that's how we met. Um, The brand management track, it started with Dennis, a white guy, and then it there was an Indian Indian guy, uh, right. Sundar, mm-hmm. um, who's risen through the ranks, and then uh, MC, a Puerto Rican woman. Mm-hmm. That was the team. And very that quickly, those, yeah, yeah. Well, again, this is the bubble. This <laughs> but, is the bubble of yeah. Procter. Mm-hmm. But like, um, can I say a but though? Yeah. But please tell, tell everybody what the product was. It was head and shoulders. What's wrong with that? So it was shampoo. But that is, see, that's a product that has been historically one that heavily markets to the multicultural audience, right? Like, oh, the, uh, fair. Okay. So, the, but, I, but I could tell the same story on herbal essences and Pantene as well, to be clear, um, like the rest of the portfolio. But here's, here's the real bias. Um, I think the client side, the company in Battle Creek, Michigan, Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, you know, pick your town, Omaha, Nebraska, mm-hmm. hires an agency in Los Angeles and New York. Very often, you know, they hired the best agencies on the coast. It's weird, right? Like I was going to say, hires an agency on the coast because that's where all the creative ideas are. That's where all the diversity is because there's more diversity in New York City or Los Angeles or Austin than there is in Cincinnati or Battle Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the expectation, and this maybe helps your argument, Alexis, the expectation is you guys in New York and LA at the agencies have to reflect what America wants. Now, the flip side of that, it's, oh, you guys are, we actually dealt with this a lot. The folks in New York creating the ad campaign It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 